gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Guys, gals, and other, welcome to episode 81 of Superman in the Bronze Age. Today we continue our year-long celebration of Superman's 75th birthday by looking at the Treasury Edition special, teaming up the Man of Steel with the original Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Uh, To help me cover this, I've recruited the biggest Captain Marvel fan I know. And then he couldn't do it, so I got this guy, Mr. J. David Weeder. Oh, Wow, I was about to give you actual uh, props there for about two <laughs> seconds before you brought me down a notch. I was oh, going to get you mad props kid. for recognizing the original Captain Marvel because not many people do, or they call him by the wrong name, which is Shazam. Shazam. And Shazam, if you will. Uh, but no, you, you are correct. The original Captain Marvel. Yes. He the guy that the outsold original. Superman. Oh. Oh, snap. Well, it didn't oh. work out well for him because of it, but... Oh, he came back to bite him in the... Yeah. Big red, but uh, but anyway, <laughs> before we get to that, well, first of all, welcome to this half of the show. Yeah, normally I'm on the back half. Yeah. Oh, and folks, um, in case you are wondering, Dave won't be doing the Superboy thing for the next couple episodes because he'll be busy with me. Sorry, you still get uh, to hear me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you just have like a steamboat come through? That was a lawnmower. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll just. All of a sudden, um, <clears throat> but before we get into the book and into some history, first I want to point out that this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your one-stop shop for comic book trades and graphic novels at greatly discounted prices. For example, the Superman vs. Shazam trade, which collects this special as well as several more of their Bronze Age team-ups, has a cover price of $19.99, but 
in-stock trades has it for just $10.99, which is a savings of 45%. You can find them on the web at instocktrades.com. Uh, now, before we do anything else, I wanted to do a little bit of a brief history. I think I kind of gave a brief history, which was probably filled with errors, about the original Captain Marvel way back when I covered the Superman vs. Captain Thunder storyline. Or story, I guess, would be the proper word. So, Dave, tell us about Shazam up to this point. Well, it was Captain... Well, Shazam was a wizard I've... that... No. <laughs> yes, I see. No, sorry. The, the basic rundown is there was a publishing company called Fawcett Publications that had become very f- famous, beginning with Captain Willie's Whiz Bang. Uh, Captain Billy's Whiz Bang, pardon me. And that was based on... <laughs> Sorry. That's based on publisher Wilford Fawcett. He was a captain in the army, and it was kind of a, a lewd little magazine. But they their publishing empire branched out, and eventually, with DC hitting it big with Superman, they decided to get into comics. Now, the mistake that would come and shoot them in the foot was when they went in to create their hero, They said somebody said, give me a Superman but make his alter ego an 8-year-old boy. Because that's target audience, 8- to 12-year-old boys. So Bill Parker drafted up this concept of a boy that would say the magic word and become a hero. They brought in an artist named C.C. Beck, who gave this a distinctive style. Now, they drew from not the pulps or anything like that, but they drew from ancient mythology to create Captain Marvel. That's why his costume isn't so much a costume in its original appearance. It's a military uniform. Those little cufflinks on his arm, that actually shows his rank. But this character appeared in Wiz Comics number 2, not number one. There was not a number one, unless you count an ash can that will cost you an arm and a leg and probably a few kidneys. But number two, he premiered and was just a huge phenomenon. First superhero to be in a live-action movie. He had his first serial. He was the first one to spin off into you know, deviations, such as Mary Marvel, his sister, who we're going to meet in the story, Captain Marvel Jr., and essentially just a huge, huge, best-selling, uh, sweeping Rage of Comics through the 1940s. Outsold Superman in all seriousness. I, don't, I say that in jest originally, but no, true story. But unfortunately, because of the way he was selling and his comparison to Superman, there was always a long-standing legal battle between DC and Fawcett. Eventually, Fawcett folded as sales started to dwindle. They just couldn't keep up with the pace anymore of the legal uh, ramifications of it all. So they shut shop up, and then you come, uh, you speed ahead two decades to the 70s, DC decides, well, these characters aren't doing anything. Let's lease them out, essentially. And so they began publishing sh- uh, stories about Captain Marvel and Friends. However, Marvel Comics had actually trademarked the name Captain Marvel by this point. So the book had to be called Shazam. Now, the character didn't have to be, but the book did, which caused decades of apparent confusion. And that kind of brings us up here where Captain Marvel's adventures are happening on alternate Earth, Earth-S, which is its own self-contained universe. And, of course, Superman is happening on Earth-1. Now, as I recall, the interesting thing about this, too, was uh, Denny O'Neill quit um, Superman because he couldn't wrap his head around a superpowered being. And then he went over to write Captain Marvel. Yes. Which makes absolutely no sense. But also, as I recall, the the story was that when when they brought them back, there was something like all the 
Marvel family had been trapped in some kind of suspended animation? In for suspendium. Like 20 years? Yes. Suspendium. They actually worked it, their, their absence into the plot where uh, Dr. Savannah, their arch nemesis, had tried to suspend the, everybody in animation, suspended animation within Fawcett City, which is where they lived, but it backfired and suspended them as well. And as that ball of suspended animation got closer to the sun, it began to melt. Captain Marvel was able to wake up and free everybody. So there's actually stories where Billy's kind of ticked off because he should be a grown man by now. And they're definitely out of step, which kind of is... It's kind of like the Brady Bunch movie when they did that in the 90s, Mm, where these characters are clearly out of step with the times of the 70s. They're definitely from the 40s, uh, which plays... Sometimes it plays really well. Sometimes it does not play well at all. Now, I haven't actually had a chance to read some of that. How did they explain it so that the, uh, you know the common person would see Billy and be like, shouldn't he be like 45 years old or something? They actually, uh, in the first issue, which I have just a little ways to my left, I bought off of a listener, Jose Antonio Rivera. In that issue, he actually meets Otto Bender, who you know is a Superman writer, but he actually wrote a vast majority of the, of the Marvel family tales. And they actually just ha- outright say, shouldn't you be grown up? And after that, it's really kind of just moved on, but in the in the text of in the context of the original stories, you're looking at something that's more not quite Popeye level silly, but Billy would constantly you know call down the thunder in front of somebody, and they would just sort of not realize he's Captain Marvel somehow. The stories oh. were definitely aimed at younger audiences, and when DC took that, they retained that you know that we're going to play with this right up until the last two issues of what would be a 35 issue run, and that's when things started getting a little bit darker, a little bit more superheroic. Is that the point where they uh, went from the old C.C. Beck style of art to the uh, more modern look? To the more Don Heck look, yeah. Okay. Um, Which is an area that I'm not completely familiar with, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I had a question I was going to ask. I guess it wasn't that important because I cannot remember what it was. Well, it might be who, who, who was the bigger fan than I was that you were going to invite. <laughs> Oh, I think we all know that I was kidding. Okay. You are the biggest fan I know of Captain Marvel, except for maybe Otto Bender. Well, and he's no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah, and I don't know him. So. <laughs> um, also, uh, Kurt Schaffenberger was a crossover. Yes. He uh, he, he started at, uh, at Fawcett and came over to D.C., as well as somebody who just left my mind. Never mind. Disregard. Oh, okay. Now, I'm looking at this, and I've read through this book already. Um, Something to keep in mind now, to my knowledge, from what I know of Captain Marvel, um, everything took place in Fawcett City, but the stuff here is in New York. What's what's up with that? I actually do not know. It looks like it would be from the era that I'm not familiar with after they left that C.C. Beck style. Okay. Because they, there's a follow-up to this in DC Comics Presents uh, 33 and 34. And it's once again, he's in New York. So I assume they kind of took cues from the Shazam TV show, live-action show, where he was traveling the, the country with Mentor and put it in a more real-world place. Gotcha. So, <clears throat> but the stuff you did that you've read after they came back was still in Fawcett? Yeah, initially it's still in Fawcett, and it was actually CC Beck on art. But he got really frustrated with 
with the editorial regime at the time, so he mm. up and t took off. And actually, that made me remember what my question was before. <clears throat> now, I again, Captain Marvel's a, a big. I'm a I'm a fan of his. I just haven't read a whole lot. I've read some of the Power of Shazam stuff that was more recent, post Crisis, but I haven't read this older stuff. <clears throat> um, did was it when they uh, did the brought him over into DC that they changed the whole did he always have Billy's mindset even when he became Captain Marvel no there was Billy and Captain Marvel were kind of two separate people who were kind of aware of each other until 1987 which is the first post crisis Captain Marvel miniseries Shazam a new beginning which was Roy Thomas and Tom Mandrake that was when Billy and Captain Marvel became Billy was Captain you know Captain Marvel was Billy in this other oh movie. That's when that okay. I thought uh, that happened. Okay, uh, miniseries I love to death too. And as, as yeah, you mentioned, Power nice. of Shazam. If if you want to follow up and read some ca good Captain Marvel, Marvel Family stuff, you can't go wrong with that series. That was Jerry Ordway, who is above reproach. Mm -hmm. uh, a series of artists, uh, mostly Peter Krause, Krause. Just a phenomenal series from beginning to end. Uh, he took everything Golden Age. Some of it he would revisit, but then he would weave a, a bigger narrative. Uh, just a really solid all round book. And that book even had some crossover, not just amongst other books, but even creative people. I know Glenn Whitmore went over and colored that, and he was the big colorist on all the Superman books. Mm -hmm. uh, Jerry Ordway, of course, had been on Adventures of Superman and Superman, and then went over there. Um, Dick Giordano was was inked some of it. Well, I think you meant the, most the, of it. You, it was a book that also crossed over with Starman. Yes, Starman. Uh, which is a phenomenal, was... phenomenal pairing. Two of the best books in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And, it, it, well, it strikes me it's like you couldn't have two more different books teaming up. Eh, kind of. They both have a, their roots in the Golden Age, though. Hmm. Even though Starman's a legacy book and kind of moves into like a 90s Gen X style, all of the roots are in the Golden Age with, with Ted Knight. And th that storyline did grab back and touch on that golden age uh, history as well. So the, it was very organic the way it was done. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it wouldn't be the the books where you're like, it, that naturally fits together, of course, until you read the story. Yeah, because if you just, just on the cover, it's like, well, you got Captain Marvel, and then you got the dark and gritty Starman. Just was a little, <laughs> a little different. But I got to say, the Ordway painted covers on that series were awesome. Yes. But you know what? That is not what we're here to talk about. Okay. We're going to turn back the clock a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit further. Um, well, thank you for bringing us up to date on all that. Now, uh, in 1978, February to be exact, they, uh, DC Comics released a treasury-sized edition, uh, Superman vs. Shazam, the, world, the Man of Steel against the world's mightiest mortal. And it's huge, and I was kind, uh, lucky enough to get a copy from... Mr. J. David Weeder. Yes, uh, and the reason you got that copy was I purchased the power of, uh, pardon me, Superman versus Shazam trade paperback, which, which I, also I just want to talk up. Yeah, very good trade paperback actually. Now, why would you? Not that I'm minding it too much, but why would you give me the giant one and then keep the smaller one? I didn't need two, ultimately, and the trade paperback has it reprints not just this. But a couple of DC Comics Presents issues, uh, there was an annual in which Dr. Savannah became 
superpowered himself. So the content in here is what I wanted, and the Treasury Edition was probably going to... I'd read it, I'd covered it before, mm-hmm. so I decided, oh, I know who would appreciate this. The guy with the guy from the Bronze Age. Yay! Well, thank you, and I'm glad My I'm pleasure. your friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I'm looking at this from the Treasury, and Dave's looking at it through the trade, so we're also, in addition to talking about the story itself, we'll talk about some of the differences, which other than size, and I'm guessing they did a digital recolor. Not as much as I thought they would, but yeah, I, I can see where you would think that. Was, um, is it like a like the flat recolor like they did on the Man of Steel trades or something? Yeah, a little bit more like that. Okay. But they <clears throat> did kind of go back and recolor it. Uh, so we're also going to mention some of the differences. Now, does the trade have this cool thing at the front of the uh, the great Superman-Captain Marvel matchup? It actually does not have that. Oh. Some, of, some of that and the history thing on the back are omitted. Okay. Well, then I'm not going to go into it, but basically um, this thing on the front here tells us a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Um, it tells us about their secret identities, their origins, their home bases, age groups, identity. how do they change their identities, uh, nicknames they have, their arch enemies... Powers, weaknesses, bosses, uh, other heroes and their families, their favorite expressions, their methods for time travel, some of their work associates, their romantic interests, uh, other friends they have, and other foes. And because it took me so long just to go through the list of what they talk about, I didn't want to go through, uh, you know, each and everything, especially since you don't have a copy. So... I will I will see if I can find a scan of that page, and maybe I will post that on the show notes. That might be a good idea. That would be a great idea. That would be an awesome idea, wouldn't it? But before we get into the book, let's take a break for a quick promo or two, and we'll be right back. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in gamma rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk, and all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole, and three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Weider, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomePage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! Or maybe... How about... I am Batman! Or... This is a job for Superman! Do you remember... Power Rangers! Or this... Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this... Autobots! Transform! (laughs) Or this... By the power of Grayskull! Or... For the honor of 
Or have you seen the latest episode of... Hello. I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's Geekcast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. Charlie's Geekcast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where, currently, I'm covering Grant Morrison's run on JLA, one storyline at a time. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, hopefully... We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All-new Collector's Edition C-58, Superman vs. Shazam, had a cover date of, well, 1978, uh, but an on-sale date of February 27th, 1978, and a cover price of $2, because, you know, it's a big book. Uh, the title of the story... Uh, it's broken up into chapters, but the main title is When Earths Collide, written by Jerry Conway, who start, is, was making a habit out of writing the Superman, at least the Superman ones, uh, Treasury Edition books. Pencils by Rick Buckler. Rich Buckler? Rich Buckler, yeah. Rich, that's what I meant. Rich Buckler, inked by Dick Giordano, although... Allegedly. What, <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah, Allegedly. Uh, I'm going to go with Continuity Studios. He could have um, Bob, Bob Kane did, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the letterer is Gaspar Saladino, who also is very popular amongst these uh, Treasury editions. Uh, the colorist was Adrian Roy, who's actually more well-known nowadays uh, as the colorist on the Batman books. But back in these days, she also colored Superman stuff. Possibly even Shaz uh, the Shazam book, but I don't know. Shazam. And Shazam. Shazam. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. And editor was Julie Schwartz. And Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, although I don't have a credit for him on, in this book for some reason. And, yeah, and Captain Marvel was created by Fawcett. Uh, so our story begins in the, with the prologue on the planet Mars. Specifically, on the uppermost crag of Mount Olympus. Olympus? Olympus. The highest peak in the whole solar system. Where there's a twisted-looking castle, home of Carmang the Evil. Ages ago, before man's ancestors first crawled from the sea, he was actually Carmang the Good. Yet in the passing eons, much has changed, and what once was good now is eroded by time. Carmang the Scientist has become Carmang the Sorcerer, and Carmang the Good is dark with evil. And using his magic, Carmang brings two beings to his castle. The Sand Superman from Quarm, who we saw way back in the early episodes of this show, but also the big Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, and Black Adam from Earth-S, who was probably in the Shazam book a little more recently. <laughs> Not really. Really? We'll get into that in the notes, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, <clears throat> moving right along. He has brought them there, which I spelled wrong, to do his bidding, but Black Adam is having none of that, so he goes on the offensive against Carmang, only to be hit by some of Carmang's magic, causing him a great deal of pain. So with both of his guests now willing to play nice, Carmang explains his plan for the very first time today. Uh, he, <laughs> he wants them to plant a device on both Earth-1, 
the home of Superman, and Earth-S, the home of the Marvel family, which will cause them to become magnetically attracted to each other and cause a planetary collision, destroying both worlds. And with that, we move to Chapter 1, aptly named Superman. It's a warm spring day, or maybe summer. Well, in any event, it's warm in Metropolis. Uh, I was working the day watch out of... Never mind. Uh, and a man in an, <laughs> and an, a man in an expensive-looking flying saucer is tearing his way through the wall of the Metropolis Stadium to steal the box office receipts. Fortunately, Superman has arrived to stop him, and also very fortunate is that Lois Lane and Steve Lombard are on hand to cover the event for WGBS. After Superman smashes through the saucer, our unnamed, costumed villain makes his escape on what I can only refer to as a rocket stick, because that's as far as I can go on a family-friendly show. Uh, but Superman quickly catches up to him, and, with a doom, appears to punch him across the city. Which is a little more than he usually does, but, you know, who am I to judge? Later, at the Galaxy Broadcasting Building, Steve Lombard ha uh, starts saying how awesome it is that he's got some great photos. Which is weird. It, should be, it shouldn't just be pictures, it should be film, because he had a video camera. Now that I think about it. Anyway, continuing. Uh, he's got some great film from the attempted robbery. But it turns out that the cassette case that he's got is empty. And it's weird because that means that Morgan Edge ends up treating Lombard the way he normally treats Clark. Fortunately, Clark actually has film of it, and we are about to find out why. See, Clark was in an alley nearby, and he was going to do an interview with the WGBS news van when he saw the saucer attacking the stadium. So, very Spider-Man-like, he set up a the minicam on a tripod at super speed, aimed it at the well, I guess the break-in, and flew in a Superman to save the day. So he got all the footage he needs. Soon, he's starting up the 6 o'clock news on WGBS. But before he gets too far into it, uh, there's a loud choom-choom. And we've got explosions that sound like hammer blows. So uh, Clark makes his... Well, doesn't really make an escape, does he? So Clark quickly changes to Superman and evacuates the building at super speed before he heads up and finds out that the Chum Chum is coming from Captain Marvel himself, who's hammering at the side of the building with a giant girder. And so this stuns Superman, giving Captain Marvel enough time to belt him one with a loud bam, or sorry, blammo, which actually damages the girder. That's cool. <laughs> um, so Captain Marvel starts pummeling into Superman, who takes a minute to use some super ventriloquism to contact his cousin, excuse me, his cousin Supergirl, currently in her secret identity of Linda Danvers in Florida at the New Athens Experimental School. And apparently the ventriloquism is so good that she can actually read it. Yes. <laughs> uh, she's, <laughs> she's excited to have a chance to eat something because apparently she hasn't had a chance to for a while, but she puts it down and flies off as Supergirl. Meanwhile, Superman finally decides to fight back and swats Captain Marvel away, who crashes down to the Earth. But before Superman could get too close to him, Captain Marvel sh shows up with some device, the Judgment Ray. And it uses a radiation from a red sun that w will distort Superman's judgment, causing him to react irrationally, like a man who's lost his, vis his reason. 
and Superman gets blasted in the face. While Superman's recovering from the blast, Captain Marvel transforms into Black Adam, because it was actually Black, Ma- Black Adam disguised as Captain Marvel. Not that he can just say Shazam and change... Anyway. Oh, that would end uh, badly. And, yes, and he flies off, apparently to... I guess he's already set the device, right? Yes. He has already set his device, so he's going to fly off, escape the planet, and vanish forever in the far cold reaches of space. At this point, Supergirl shows up, and Superman acts like he's really ticked, and flies off, saying that he's going to kill Captain Marvel. And for the first time in her life, the Maid of Might knows fear. I'm sure she's been scared before. Well, I would think so, too. You know, maybe when she got sent into a rocket ship to Earth... But oh, you know. yeah, that would freak me out just a bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't care if I'm wearing a Superman type dress. Of course, that'd be weird if I was wearing a Superman type dress. But yeah, I would think that that would be scary. But that's just me. But that's the first part of the book. Dave, do you have any notes for this section? Where to begin? Uh, you mentioned Black Adam. Preferably the beginning. Yeah. But yes, I did. You mentioned Black. Well, for one thing, I like Carmang. He's a brand new villain for this, and spoilers: we're never going to see him again. <laughs> And he wears eyeball earrings. I dig that. Like he that just is looks so cool. Yeah, but he's also, as we're going to find out, kind of a neat character. But Black Adam was—he didn't have that many pre-crisis appearances. In fact, in the Golden Age, Black Adam appeared once in Marvel Family Number One, where of all people, Uncle Dudley tricked him into saying Shazam, so he crumbled to dust, as we've seen in multiple adaptations since then. Wait, once? Yeah, one time in the Golden Age. And he wow. came back about twice in post-crisis, not counting this one. Then how did everyone acts like he's like the biggest bad Captain Marvel's got? Well, they no, that's the thing. He is. That's the thing. That's the wonder of it is that older older writers or time, uh, writers from earlier times decided to make him a real threat, kind of like what you would see with Doomsday, where he Doomsday mm. came on the scene and did something monumental. Subsequent appearances, not as threatening. And that's what kind of happened for me with Black Adam, where you have this guy that, how how can they possibly defeat him? He's as powerful as they are, plus he's aged, so his powers are more refined. Uh, you, if you kept bringing him back, I mean, the it would just water him down. That's why he was a good character. I'm not. A, and he's got more more experience with the power. Exactly. I'm not a big uh, Black Adam fan. I'm not a detractor, but like, I prefer to see him show up like he did. And, and just put because this is one of the few times that the Marvel family decided to come together it was that big of a threat and well, after that I mean now yes in post-crisis they did some really neat things with the character but he stopped being just this huge evil kind of like Venom well, yeah we'll turn him into a sort of good guy yeah <laughs> yeah no it was interesting to read so... but not cool for just having this really ultra powerful villain so they actually did something smart with the character, and instead of overusing him... Yes, they did. They kept him away. Nice. Sylvanna showed up a lot, though, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sylvanna okay. was around a, a lot. Sylvanna would okay. be... Uh, I consider him part of the Marvel family. Just that creepy uncle. Oh. Which is, is ironic, okay. because in the post-crisis, they tried to make him his actual uncle, so... Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? Yep. That's yucky. Okay, continuing... Um, mystery villain. Uh, I don't know what the deal was, deal was with orange and green in this era, but he <laughs> he rocks orange and green like it's going out of style. Oh wait, too late. Ah, yeah, it was kind of out of style before he did this. It was uh, 
It makes me think of when we covered that Superman Wonder Woman issue. Yes. <laughs> and you had um, Doc, uh, Baron Blitzkrieg in that gross orange and yellow costume. But you see, I liked Baron Blitzkrieg's costume. This one is just garish. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one doesn't make me feel like I need sunglasses, so I was alright with it. Eh, to each his own, even yeah. when you're wrong. Thank you. It's my show, damn it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, wackiness at the at the WGBS studios, and then yes, our heroes well seem to meet in a great splash splash page. Which, looking at it from this smaller version, played out so much better on the Treasury size. Because there is one thing I will always say about Treasury. I will repeat it: it's comics in IMAX. Oh yeah, it's huge. But Someone it, honked. <laughs> the nice thing is that Rich Buckler seems to be somebody who knows how to use a splash page as well. Oh, yeah, he used them very effectively in this whole book. Yeah. And then, of course, Super Ventriloquism, I'm always a big fan of. I like that we bring Supergirl and in other characters into this as well. It's not just a fisticuffs type of thing. Mm-hmm. Or Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Lave. <laughs> Uh, 2011, all rights reserved. Yep. And then, of course, kind of like Supergirl, I got a little freaked out when Superman lost his mind. Yeah, that is very non-Superman. He always, he almost always stays calm. Superman, almost you're being very always. undued. <laughs> well, is that all you notes you've got? Yeah, that's all the, so far, yeah. When we first meet Carming on Mars, at first I was like, well, if there's a castle on Mars, does Martian Manhunter know about this? So I started thinking that this is kind of messed up, that you know that they're not taking Martian Manhunter into account. But don't worry, they mention him later. Yeah, they address it. Yeah, so they do address that, so I didn't get too upset. I do like the fact this is the first time we've seen the Sand Superman since 1972. Early 1972. So it was kind of cool to have him back. They probably may have wanted to explain him a little closer, considering that most uh, that I'm sure several lots of kids have no idea who the Sand Superman is. Um, and if you want if, to know about it, and you're just coming onto the show, there are early episodes in which you covered the entire spectrum of it. Heck yes. Uh, I couldn't tell you which ones they are, but they're the really early ones, like starting with episode three Yeah, is when I hit two thirty Superman 233. And for the next year of Superman comics, this guy was the overall bad guy throughout the whole thing. Um, I'm guessing Black Adam showed up more recently, considering his whole, the whole series was more recent. The, well, the Bronze Age version of Black Adam. Yeah, he uh, well, they acknowledged it. I mean, the the Bronze Age continued the Golden Age stories, so that it was picking up with what happened earlier. And yeah, he came back all of, I want to say twice, but there may have been a third time, not accounting for a crisis, which I don't count. And you aren't counting this with that. Yeah, correct. Okay. In fact, it may be three, including this. No, there was a DC Comics Presents. I'll find out. <laughs> all right. Now, um, real quick on your version page five of the story. Uh, does Carmang ever have a flesh-colored head? Uh, da, 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 no. 
Okay. They miscolored it here. And in two panels, it looks like Luther in a different costume with earrings. But um, I, I also think it's interesting that they focus on Black Adam not wanting to help and being all anti-Karmang, while the Sand Superman just kind of, you know, stands there and barely has a role in this whole first section. Well, I would, without getting too far in, I would say that he doesn't have a role of, mu of much merit in this entire book. Right. But the villains probably wouldn't hurt to have, to be window dressing. Yeah, I th it, it seems more like Black Adam and Sand Superman are more like you just said, window dressing to Carmang being the main big bad. Uh, to kind of come back to, because I did look it up on comicbookdb.com, to mark the actual numbers here, everything pre-crisis, including this, including the Marvel family number one that I mentioned, Black Adam had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight total appearances, not counting crisis. Eight. And that's from 1945 to 1986. Wow. He appears that many times in the Power of Shazam graphic novel. Yeah, easily. <laughs> and that's just one story. But, um, wow. It sounds like I'm being, I'm down on Black Adam. That's not true. I just, I think he's, he's that potent of a villain that you preserve him. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like he's the kind of big bad that they handled right. And he's the one you want to save for the really big stuff. Yeah. But um, I also am confused about how these this Earth thing is supposed to work. They shouldn't crash into each other. Um, I believe, of course, most of this is what I read in Crisis, but I believe the idea is all the Earths basically exist in the same space. Yeah, same but geographical all location in, in space. Yeah, they're just in different vibratory patterns. So, or because of the different dimensions. So basically, what this device is supposed to be doing is, I guess, putting them, more putting them at the same vibratory rate than magnetically attracting them. Essentially, yeah. Because that makes it sound like one of them's the moon and one of them's the earth and it's pulling them together. It just, it, I don't I believe that even the the explanation about the vibratory thing goes all the way back to Flash, was it 123? That Barry met Jay? 123 is correct. Yes. Okay. So they met in Flash 123, and that, I believe, is where they established the whole vibratory thing. Mm-hmm. So, and considering he's also the writer of Justice League... You would think Jerry Conway would be very well versed in that. But this makes it sound like they're just two Earths that happen to be in the same space. That's the well, yeah, that's that can be read that way. I do read it as if they're basically pulling them dimensionally into each other. Okay. Now, <clears throat> page six. I'm going to cough a second, hold on. Okay, page six. Now, this seems to be the classic um, supervillain has created, has spent billions of dollars to create this giant flying saucer to steal thousands of dollars in box office receipts. And then he's surprised when Superman shows up in Metropolis. Yeah, okay. 
That was the other thing I have. Okay, this guy laments. He's like, I never should have come here, but Batman protects Gotham City. Flash is in Central City. Hawkman's in Midway City. It's getting so crooks are running out of cities to rob. Well, you know, what about Dallas? Or Boston? Well, no, Boston. Was Wonder Woman in Boston? Wonder Woman wasn't in Boston. That was post-crisis, wasn't it? Yeah. Boston. Baltimore. Washington, D.C. Uh, or even if you're going to go West Coast. Salt Lake City, which isn't West Coast, I know, but it's more West. Denver. There's a lot of places he could have gone, but no. He comes to Metropolis. Figuring that Superman would be too busy with the big guys like Luther and Terra Man. Yeah, Terra Man. But I'm, I'm sorry... Even if he was busy with Terra Man or Luther or Parasite or anyone like that, a costume guy in a giant saucer tearing up a baseball stadium is going to get Superman's attention. It's just going to happen. You know he has super hearing, right? I know. Hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, at first I saw this guy's costume, I thought he was part of Cobra. <laughs> um, not the G.I. Joe Cobra, but the DC Comics yeah. Cobra. Because it's the right colors. And kind of Green right bodysuit with yeah. orange. Yeah, so. I don't know, maybe it was intended and they changed it. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, on page nine, Steve gets treated like here just like he's Clark. I and like that. He's, yeah, it's nice. It's just not normal Steve. It's just weird. And I'm wondering what they were doing at the stadium unless, well, Steve sports, so maybe that's why. Uh, but other than that, the the uh, the main thing that I wanted to point out here is just the way that um, now I don't know. It doesn't appear that they had completely transferred to the more realistic art style yet. So, but Rich Buckler does draw Captain Marvel looking a little bit more CC Beck mm -hmm. than, and it's noticeably different than like Superman. Thankfully, the body. The body's the same, you know. The body type. It's not like he. It's not like he completely took away all of the detail or anything. It's not like we're looking at like Superman fighting Bugs Bunny or something. But just the face. It's the more simplistic, car not really cartoonish, but technically, yeah, cartoonish look to his face. Yeah, and he looks like he doesn't look like Fred McMurray. He doesn't have that quite look, uh, look quite yet or anymore. But he does look like mm -hmm. Jerry Mathers, who played the Beaver. Yeah, a little bit. I don't, I don't think that's a, yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. We just <laughs> and he's kind of well. He's almost uh, inked or sh the hair is almost shaded in to look a little bit like uh, Osborne hair. Mm -hmm. And man, so Tom Mandrake, Tom Mandrake would take that and run with it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have looked at it, but I haven't had too much of a chance to read through that. But I did not know about his armbands being the whole. That signifies he's the captain. Well, looking at the original costume, yeah, it signifies he's a captain. His cape was... It's based on Prussian Army uniforms. So okay. when you saw him, I mean, he had that flap on his chest, which Jerry Ordway yes. brought back and, and has stayed back uh, until the New 52, which is... I I really look at the New 52 as a different character, but but yeah, the flap was, yeah. was actually wearing a jacket. His sash was based on that Army uniform. He wore tight pants rather than tights. And traditionally... Captain America swashbuckler boots. Yep, and his uh, his cape was though just an ornate cape, like a uh, you would see in an operetta. 
So it was it was not meant to be a traditional superhero costume, but it did eventually evolve into that. And his belt was basically like this until um, Alex Ross made it look more like a so something something that was actually tied in a knot, right? Yeah, well, that would pop up originally in his first appearance. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it streamlined over time. Even CC Beck drew it this way. Uh, the the collar though would progressively get higher in this era. So rather than laying on his back like a, just a shorter version of the cape for ornate purposes, it became like a disco collar. Well, disco was in at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's so fine with me because right. it's more of a red tornado look. But mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. with my original Superpowers action figure, since his cape, d- that cape didn't clip on the neck. It just had the little braid across it. I would actually use Red Tornado's cape on, on his body. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I got my little Captain Marvel <laughs> Superpowers figure in front of me here. Okay. Um, One of my favorite toys of all time. I'll fight. Well, I'll, I'll fight you for it. <laughs> does he do the same punching action that Superman does? Yes. Okay. I figured, but I just had to ask. Okay. Now, this has no note about this. I just want to point this out. Um, did you, you did you ever read the JSA series with uh, you know Jeff Johns and a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Captain Marvel was part of that team for a while and when he wasn't uh, Black Adam showed up and occasionally they'd have Rags Morales on to do the artwork and if you ever saw those issues the detail the man put on just the armbands on both Captain Marvel and Black Adam is amazing it's funny I mean, you say that actually <laughs> okay but I mean here it just looks like you know part of the costume I mean, it looks a little different, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look, you know, anything. He he puts like makes it look like the each each ring, each line is actually raised up, mm-hmm. and the mid uh, each section in the middle is sunk down, and he puts a lot of makes it makes it really look shiny. Of course, that's helped with the coloring too, but he just really makes the armbands look really ornate and like they're metal. Yes, and, and, cool. as I mentioned, it's funny you say that. I actually have a print of Ra- uh, Rags Morales. I almost said Ralph, his real name. But I have a print that he did of <sighs> Captain Marvel. Just It's just a, I mean, it's a print, but it, it was his pencil sketch. And, yeah, looking at that armband, I mean, it looks like something tangible, something real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. looks like you can just walk up to it and go, tink, yeah. on it. I mean, yeah. he does, really he does cool. just an excellent Captain Marvel. And he did the same thing with uh, Black Adams mm-hmm. when he did his. So that... I, I don't know that, that for some reason that always stuck out to me, but um, I guess that does it for the first section. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, just gonna call you to the floor. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate you, as I mentioned, clarifying at the beginning here that this is the original Captain Marvel, as you gave me crap in Metropolis for clarifying to an artist about the original Captain Marvel. Oh, what did I do? Well, Justin, <laughs> when, when I went to artist Justin Castaneda, which we mentioned on our live episodes. I'm yes. like, I want the original Captain Marvel, and you were kind of joking with... I don't remember exactly what you said, but... <laughs> <laughs> I th- I, uh, hopefully I just specified which one you meant, right? <laughs> no, you were just giving me crap for spe- being so specific, but here... Uh, I, 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 well, yeah, you got to be specific. Yeah, okay. I got to win on crap. this one, is what I yes. think, because now it's, now it's recorded. So. Yes, yes. You are correct. It is the original, because if you don't specify... There's like 14 different ones. Be- well, not 14 literally, but there's what? There's the Marvel Captain Marvel, and there's been like three of him. Mm-hmm. 
or four. Counting Carol, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's four now. And then at DC, you've got this one, and then, you know, he came back, you know, he comes back post-crisis, and then at some point, uh, right around Infinite Crisis, he ends up taking over as the new Shazam, so then Captain Marvel Jr., after going through a ton of tests, or maybe 12 of them, becomes the new Captain Marvel for like half an hour, and then they'd have new 52. Yeah. Which is a different and, character. That really is Shazam. Yeah, that is that is Shazam, not I Captain can't Marvel argue at all. On that so, one. <laughs> yes, although he, he got a lot of this, you know, it's still Billy Batson and whatnot, but it's definitely a different character. But it's New Fifty Two, so of course it's a different character. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so yeah, you do have to specify. I apologize. Thank you. I, appreciate I will be it. nice and be an adult here. Um. <laughs> But after, and now that I'm going to cut that out, uh, after this, no, I'm just kidding. After we play a couple promos, we'll be right back, and Dave will guide us through Chapter 2. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. It was the dawn of the Third Age of Comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age all right and we're back and starting with the second interlude which opens up chapter two take it away dave yes we begin with an interlude simply called castle carmang and as superman rushes off to earth s our focus shifts back to mars in castle carmang where the chrome dome villain watches his handiwork play out as he views Black Adam placing one of the two devices somewhere in Metropolis. As Carmang is gloating to himself, he appear, he starts hearing voices, and the ghostly apparitions of Carmang's people appear, torturing him. This leads us to a flashback, to a day when Carmang was Carmang the Good, and he was seeking to live forever and help his people do the same, but his experiments with a sub-nuclear energy resulted in an explosion of energy that killed everyone, all of Carmang's people leaving him the last Martian of his kind standing. But not only did they die, they were turned into ghostly apparitions, and these apparitions haunt Carmang all the time. So we leave Carmang to be haunted by his handiwork all alone, save for the ghosts, and we jump into Chapter 2, Shazam! Shazam! Captain Marvel flies over New York, New York City, 
where he spots a pink beam striking the Brooklyn Bridge, which sends, which sends the bridge into turmoil and threatening to fall, with all of the people standing on it and all the cars. So the Big Red Cheese flies into action and holds the bridge up with the strength of Hercules, but he is still struggling against the sheer semantics of holding the bridge up and trying to aid in the evacuation. Fortunately, Mary Batson sees Captain Marvel knowing that he is, in reality, her twin brother, Billy Batson, which is a creepy story in itself. Sharing the same powers as Billy, Mary slips into a concealed corner and calls out the magic word, SHAZAM! And becomes Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel flies up to help Captain Marvel and supports the weight of the bridge, while Cap grabs some nearby wrecked cars to wedge into the giant cracks, kind of making a fairly good makeshift border. And with the danger passed, Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel split up, and Cap turns back into Billy by calling out the magic word, SHAZAM! And goes to meet his girlfriend, Sissy Summerlee, for a date at the Midtown Malt Shop, which doesn't last very long because Billy spots what looks to be Superman, and rushes out to investigate. It's actually the Sand Superman who is planting his own device on Earth-S. Captain Marvel flies by as he's, de- as he's planting it, but once the device is secured, Sand Superman flies after Captain Marvel and sucker punches him. The two fight, with Captain Marvel distracted by saving bystanders, which allows the Sand Superman to escape, but Captain Marvel is ticked off. And as Barry Marvel arrives on the scene to help Captain Marvel out, the world's mightiest mortal exclaims that he's going to give Superman a walloping, and he goes to fly off to deliver it. And the chapter closes with Cap flying off to find Superman and Mary Marvel trailing behind, trying to keep her brother under control. Dun dun dun! Womp womp womp. So kind of a parallel chapter. Yeah, very similar. And yet, Conway does a very good job of this. I think he's. That's how he opens just about every single one of these. You get a chapter where we get one of the well Superman doing his thing. You get a chapter with Captain. Marvel here doing his thing and then the rest of it's their team up. Mm-hmm. Did the same thing with Spider-Man, did the same thing with Wonder Woman. It works. It's, like a, it's a good template. Mm-hmm. I can see why they kept get going back to him for this. Well, since you went over it, I guess I'll do my notes first. Um, my first note is that I guess technically, judging by the color of his face, that Carmang's people were the first white Martians. Uh, something like that. It's it's a we get an explanation, but it's a so-so explanation. But I assume so. Yes. Yes. And um, these wouldn't be the same kind of white Martians that would come back in the '90s. But yeah, technically they're kind of white Martians. But this does give us a reason for why. Uh, Carmang wants two Earths blown up. Very helpful. Yes. Because before it kind of made no sense. <laughs> it's like, well, it's Thursday. Let's blow some Earths <laughs> Um Page 20, I have to say that the opening splash page is beautiful. Oh, yes. I was thinking the same you've thing. Got Now, let's see. You've got the Brooklyn Bridge, I guess that is. Yeah, yes. Brooklyn Bridge. And you've got Captain Marvel flying around. And you can see the city in the background. Uh, it just looks amazingly awesome. And if you look close, you see Gwen Stacy. No, no kidding. <laughs> yes, you can see Gwen Stacy falling. We all know that's there's... the George Washington Bridge. Yes, and there's a small thwip. Then... <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, sorry. Uh, too far? Um, Wait, but, but the yes. girl on the bridge actually looks a little bit like Gwen Stacy now that I noticed that. Actually, she does, yes, with the very blonde hair. Hmm. With Timmy. 
who's, you know, from the Christmas... Anyway, um, it's very fortunate that Mary Marvel just happens to be driving across the bridge at this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this does point out uh, the fact that while Captain Marvel is quite powerful and has, you know, just as much super strength as, say, I don't know, Superman, uh, he doesn't have some, this exact same power, so he can't just use heat vision to... Weld, yes, that's what I was going for. Also, is this was, was this the correct current Mary Marvel costume at the time? Yeah, they updated her costume towards yeah. the end of the Golden Age to have that the slippers and uh, sort of have that hemline along the the collar there to begin the lightning bolt. And the fact that the skirt barely gets past her butt. Well, she always had a shortish skirt, to be honest with you. Oh, I mean, it's not anything. Well, it's not anything tawdry. You make it sound horrible. I mean, it goes down. No, it's not. A it's, it's not uniform. bad. Yeah, it's perfectly fitting for the '70s, actually. Yeah, it's just uh, there's at least two or three times that Rich Buckler likes to draw it from an angle in which heavy shadowing needs to be used. Yes, to save people from seeing her marvelous bits. But um, moving right along, it is a good look for her. Having said that, uh, the idea of using cars to shore up the bridge was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dropping the wisdom of Solomon on you. The thing is, though, that it looks like he's putting several cars in there on page 23, and then on the next page it looks like he's put two. Maybe three, yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, it's like, um, Cap, you still got half the bridge, you should be shoring up, but whatever. Um, uh, but I, I do also like that even though this is a slightly more realistic look to the characters, Billy's still got the weird hairdo with the three chunks of hair in the front. They're called bangs. That's what I was talking about. Bangs. Well, it's not like he has a spit curl that sits perfectly in place. Right, but unfortunately the way it's drawn, it looks like the bangs come up and then he's got this terrible widow's peak. A little bit of a widow's peak. It's a two-peak. Like it's a comb, weird, it's a comb forward. Uh, yeah, like a bad comb forward. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I, this poor girl like says three words. No, I'm sorry, she has two word balloons. <laughs> Sissy does. Um, and a thought bubble. But it, it, how fitting is it that they're having like a malt? Yeah, I, I was wondering if they still had malt shops. At this time, well, it looks uh, they do on Earth S. Fair enough. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. But yeah, other than that, the the Sans Superman likes to keep his mouth open a lot. Just about every time we see him, he's got his mouth open. It's like he's wearing a mask that's stuck. He's a mouth breather. <laughs> but yeah, beyond that, um, this was just another fun little chapter. And it's interesting to see how their faces get kind of messed up when they're first hit by the beam. The uh, Captain Marvel on page 31 looks like he's just had, like, sand thrown in his eyes or something. Yeah. What effect? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a burning beam mm-hmm. right in the face. I don't know how, what you would look like after that, but I would look pretty... Or well, not. I don't have superpowers, so I'd probably be a skeleton by that point, but yes. Well, there's that. that. Would, yeah, that probably wouldn't help much. Uh, but let's see. Does he do? He doesn't explain what the judgment ray is. Cool. Okay, so that's all I've got. What about you? Uh, I kind of mentioned offhandedly about Mary Marvel's origin being kind of a little bit creepy, but the basic idea was when Billy and her 
and Mary's parents died, they had a nanny named Prim, Miss Prim, and she also babysat for a rich couple who whose baby died on her watch. So she sent Billy to the orphanage and replaced the dead baby with Mary. And decades later, she found Billy and uh, said, oh, you've got a twin sister and died before she could identify it. But there was a locket, sort of the half-heart lockets. That's how they identified each other and found each other. It's a little bit morbid. (laughs) And this was Golden Age. Did did they do a different origin post-crisis, or is that pretty much the same? Power of Shazam stuck with that. She, she She didn't really come back until Power of Shazam. Because Mandra or Roy Thomas left it just as Captain Marvel, and then Jerry Ordway. Yeah, he only he only had like th- a three issue miniseries, and then we never saw him again. Uh, yeah, the four issue miniseries he well, had a three part uh, bit in Action Comics Weekly, and then Justice mm-hmm. League issues here and there. But yeah, he he was just a guest star. He he didn't start coming back until like uh, if you look at uh, Panic in the Sky, he was a big part of that, and that's when the flap returned to the costume too. Yes, and that's when he started coming back because it was shortly after that that once Superman died and Ordway left, that's when Power of Shazam was starting up. They did the graphic well, novel, the which graphic novel. The graphic novel the has series. there was a poster for the graphic novel which I have hanging here, which is just it was the, one of the first times I saw the flap was Panic in the Sky. I didn't because we didn't have the internet then, so mm-hmm. I didn't know that the history of the costume had the flap on the front, but this poster. I'm like, what, what? what is Jerry Ordway doing? He's just inventing stuff for the costume. So <laughs> one of my favorite images of all time, I had it as a kid. As an adult, I, I don't know what happened to my original, but as an adult, I went to track this thing down. And for about five years, I looked, not a trace of it. I mean, you couldn't even Google the image for it. And I finally found it on an eBay auction. But Captain Marvel's got one of my favorite costumes in all of comics, tied with The Flash. That's right. As a Superman yes. fan, I can't say that Superman's... I love Superman's costume, don't get me wrong, but these two... I think it's the red and the lightning bolt insignia. You just like red and yellow a lot. Yeah. Well, my car is now red, and my car is named Mary Marvel, so that was... That, that's why I yes, the right. color. That's right. Uh, I like it a lot, too, but I like it more now that we've got the digital coloring where they can give shades to it. Yeah. Uh, with the flat coloring like this, it just looks a little too plain for me. Yeah, and the, um, and the coloring in the reprint is really vibrant. It's still flat coloring, definitely not digital, mm-hmm. but it still pops even more. Well, it could just be flat digital. They, they don't really color much without the digital anymore. True. Um, but yeah, the costume, and that's kind of my note for the first page there where Captain Marvel's swooping in. <laughs> and just kind what? of a background on Mary. It's just kind of the background on Mary and just that he has one of the best costumes. It's a visual, something I, uh, I just love to look at. Yeah, it's really nice. And uh, to go with the art that I was mentioning earlier, the with, with the distance shots, he's really still got the squinty, the squinty eyes, the classic squinty eye. Which they would, yeah, they co-opted that with Superman too. Yep, Superman had that at first. But I, I love, uh, I love. I wish he had more squinty eyes. I know it's weird <laughs> looking, but it's it's kind of like, I don't know, stoic, very John mm-hmm. Wayne-ish. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how the art works. Page 24. The second panel, that doesn't look like Dick Giordano's inks on his face. Uh, which panel is that? Where they're landing on the roof? Uh, No, are you on page 24? 
I'm in a trade paperback, Charlie. <laughs> well, they, they did they take out the page numbers on the corners? Yep. Oh, no. Crap. Wow. Oh. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, this would be the one right after, right after they're oh, uh, leaving the bridge. That looks odd. That. Yeah. Both of those panels that... look odd, actually. Like, the composition of Captain Marvel landing is odd, but you got a really nice Billy transformation. Oh, yeah. That's... That can't be too easy to do, but really they just draw Captain Marvel behind them. But yeah, it's that's one of those things that would be easier to show like an animation that is kind of you would think would be kind of hard to depict too much in a static image. Yes, an animation a is how lot. I first encountered it. So I wonder if yeah, that carried I'll... over and helped me process the images like that. That could be what what um, where did you first see him? Uh, first, it was in the 70, uh, late 70s, early 80s Filmation Shazam show, which aired with Superhero High. I have no memories of the other show, but I distinctly remember the Shazam cartoon. The cartoon, yeah. okay. I didn't know about the live-action yeah. show until I was a teenager, so. Do you have the DVD? Not yet. Ah. Is, isn't that on, that's on the uh, on-demand kind of DVDs thing, right? You, yeah, one? well, you can get it on Amazon, but yeah. Well, yeah, but okay. So yeah, there's there's less chance of it going of of you have not, not being able to find it when it's when they're doing it that way rather than trying to find it at a store. Yeah. Uh, let's see. But yeah, I really don't have many. All right, I already went over my notes. Did you have any other notes? Uh, just that Rich Buckler draws a really good uh, teenage Mary Marvel because when she first debuted, I mean, we mentioned Captain Marvel was based on uh, Fred McMurray. This is pre mm-hmm. my my three sons, Fred McMurray, a very young, strapping Red, Fred McMurray, who he was a very bulky man. I mean, he was a very manly man. We think of him now as a little bit stoic, a little bit fatherly, but man, he was a hardcore, you know, muscle-bound sports fanatic. But Mary Marvel was based on Judy Garland, oh. and she, you know, her, she was drawn because she, unlike Captain Marvel, she changes into Mary with a costume. That's the only difference. She doesn't change age or anything like that. So Buckler traces that aging, that Mary's gotten a little bit older, she's a little bit more mature, and you see it in her face. And I mean that like complimentary, like somebody who is coming of age and becoming a woman, not in any creepy way, even though what I just said was creepy. But it seems like everything, every encounter I have with Mary Marvel has become creepy lately. <laughs> hey, little girl, let me that... take your picture. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. So Charlie and I are at Metropolis again, and I see this little girl who was probably seven or eight in a Mary Marvel costume. And she, it was a very nice costume. I didn't think anything of it. I just wanted a picture because it was Mary Marvel. And she's like, yeah, I could take a picture. Let me grab my friend who was dressed as Wonder Woman. I'm like, and Charlie leans over and like, you know that's creepy, right? I'm like, I hadn't thought of it till now. but. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what we've got is a 30-something man. Uh, taking a picture of basically two, what, nine, ten-year-olds? Yeah, seven or eight, seven uh, there, very young. In these superhero costumes all by themselves. <laughs> no, and it was just like, no. The parents weren't very far away. And they, they no, 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 they were there, but it was just... <laughs> you make it sound yeah, it horrible. Like, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was uh, yeah, definitely something that, if it was 1978, it would be no problem. But because it's 2013... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I have a question for you. I didn't have a Page... windowless van or anything. No, 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 no. No, we were driving an IKEA. Yes. In fact, at that point, we were just walking. <laughs> um, page thirty. I- I'm I'm wondering how exact they got with the coloring. The um, 
let's see, page 30 as far as the actual page numbers on the mm -hmm. story. Uh, the people running around on the building roof for whatever reason, are they colored in gray or did they actually decide to give them color? No, they're just gray tone. Okay. When I actually set these two side by side a little bit, there isn't a big deviation. The colors are maybe a little bit more clean, but also the copy mm -hmm. that you see there, it's aged. So that takes away some of the, co the color vibrancy as well. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was just wondering, because a lot of times when they are doing these, they really go all out for the facsimile to match the colors as exactly as they can and get it really close on the, you know, making sure, like, if it's a brown building in this, it's a brown building in your version. Yeah. If the building is kind of greenish, they want to make it greenish in your version. Um and usually they do that very well. I was just curious if they went... Sometimes they go ahead and they'll add a little extra detail with the coloring. Sometimes they will color in the people in the background. I just recently had done, an, you know, the two episodes where we where I looked at uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And they did a little more extensive digital recoloring on that. And there were several places where they went ahead and changed some of the colors and added more coloring details where a group of people might have just been all colored gray. They went ahead and actually colored them in. Mm. So, I was just curious. Of course, that was also a fully, you know, trying to add like the 3D kind of coloring that they use now, yeah. modern, to a 30-year-old book. But, anyway, we're not talking about that. So, that was all you had for that? That's all I had for that. Very good so far. That's going to end it for this episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Dave, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, a few less places now, but mostly if you go to Incredible Hulk homepage, not only do I blog there a little bit more frequently now, but you can also find my podcast, Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, which covers the entire Peter David run on the Incredible Hulk. And you can also find me here normally pretty much every two weeks with my Superboy in the Bronze Age segment, just not these next couple of episodes since I'm already on this part of it. That's just too much Dave overload. Yeah, this, we don't want you to think this is Dave's show. No. Let's not get that well, confused. Because... It's kind of Dave's show, but still, yeah. Yeah. Now, you're... Um, I, I don't know why I'm going to mention this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. You're getting ready to start covering some X-Men stuff on... Yeah, we will we'll be adding... Pad Smash 2? Yeah, we'll be adding X-Factor to Pad Smash, which is episode 53, I believe, which will cover the Peter David run on X-Factor from the same time because... A, it, it's just something kind of new to liven, liven things up on the show. Uh, B, it's a really, really good read. And C, the two cross over in a way that, for me, was how I got into that Incredible Hulk run. So I wanted to make it part of it, and we all kind of sat down and agreed, yeah, that was this would be fun to add to it. So uh, the episodes will actually be alternating. There will be an X-Factor coverage for one episode, Incredible Hulk uh, coverage back, uh, just as normal for other episodes. So one off, one on. It's still weekly, so you're still getting two Hulk episodes a month, two X-Factor episodes. And that will probably take us into first quarter of 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I mean, just there were, it was episode 71, issue 71 to 86. So alternating, that takes us, going to take us a little while, plus one annual. Oh, cool. And at which point do they cross over? Uh, that would be right around 76. Oh, so about halfway. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, 
Dave, I want to thank you for joining me. Well, thank you. For this part of the show, uh, for once. And, um, well, once again, it's just been a while since you've been on this part of the show. Yes. And um, we will have Dave back next time to finish this lovely story. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.